Turn in your Bibles to Acts 16. While you're doing that, let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed desperately for divine guidance? Oh, God, show me what to do. And then suddenly had an idea that had bearing on your situation, but didn't know if the idea came from God or from somewhere else, maybe from yourself. I have. How can we know if God is guiding us? That's an important question for people who are going to be down to earth about following Jesus. And there are others. Does God guide people in real time? Does he do that? And if so, does he guide sola scriptura through scripture alone? Or does he employ additional means? Does God guide by feelings? Does he guide everyone? Why does God guide? What part, if any, does prayer play in obtaining guidance from God? To that last question, I'll add an observation. Some people don't pray unless they need, feel the need for emergency services, like guidance. They don't pray about their job except when they need to find one. They don't pray about a relationship except when the relationship's falling apart. People who only pray when they're desperate for divine guidance are least likely to receive that guidance when it's given. Let's do a quick run-through of the questions I just asked. Does God guide? Yes. The scriptures are filled with examples of God giving guidance to individuals, to groups, even nations. God guided young Saul when he went in search of lost donkeys. And I believe he once guided me to find a lost contact lens, though I can't prove it, and I think that happened. Does God only guide through the scriptures? Now, that he guides through the scriptures is the testimony of scripture and of God's people through the years. Hundreds, thousands of such testimonies. Some people go further and claim that he only guides through the scriptures. But that contradicts the claims of the scriptures themselves. For example, scripture speaks of God guiding by cloud and fire, by the casting of lots, by dreams, by prophetic declarations, by restlessness, and various other ways, both in the Old Testament and the New. To say that God guides only through scriptures is to contradict the testimony of the very scriptures one's trying to extol. What about the question, why does God guide? That is an important question. Understanding the answer to that question will make it easier for us to receive guidance when we need it. Now, to help us think about that, let's think about why God doesn't guide. He doesn't guide to alleviate you of the responsibility to make decisions. If you hope God will guide you so that all your important decisions are made for you, you're going to be disappointed. God requires you to make decisions. He won't let you off that hook. His guidance will almost certainly lead you to make more, not fewer, decisions. And don't think that God will guide you merely to keep you from making mistakes. God doesn't want his children to be obsessed about getting everything right. He has a better, richer life in mind for you. Now, maybe your dad or mom was a perfectionist, or maybe he or she was capricious and angry, and, and you learned early to try to do everything right to stay out of trouble. 
Now you're consumed with fear of making a mistake. But perfectionism and fear are the devil's imitation of faith and love. It will be hard for you to receive guidance when you're in that state. God wants you to get clear that he is not our perfectionist in heaven. He's better than that. Nor does God guide with a view of eliminating risk from your life. That's why you're looking for guidance, so you can eliminate all risk. You're out of luck. We have a risk aversion. God does not. The God who led Israel to a dead end at the Red Sea seems willing to place his people in risky situations, at least in situations that seem risky to them, in order to accomplish his purpose. He sent Gideon to fight a vast army with just 300 men. He sent the apostles out, I quote, like lambs among wolves. Minimizing risk has never been at the top of God's agenda. If we automatically rule out any guidance that seems risky, we'll quickly part ways with God. Likewise, God does not guide his people so they can escape the ordinary difficulties of life, like financial strain or relationship challenges or health problems. We share those with everyone, and he shared them with us when he took on our flesh. God's guidance will not prevent us from dying someday. But he will be our guide even unto death and beyond that. So why does God guide people? What does he get out of it? Have you ever thought about that? We think about what we get out of it. What does he get out of it by guiding us? He gets a particular kind of person. And that's been his objective all along. He doesn't need us to get things done. And yet he gives us things to do in order to shape us into a certain kind of person. Loving, gracious, confident, joyful, strong. In other words, a person like Jesus. We want God to guide us so our efforts will be successful. So we'll be successful. He wants to guide us so that we'll be holy. He also guides us so that we can play a part in the future of the world. In the age to come, we will be able to say, if we've been obedient to God, we will be able to say of some real good, I did that. And we'll say it with joy and gratitude and without the least hint of self-conceit. We have a role to play in the everlasting kingdom, a role tailor-made for us. It's so good of God to give us real, meaningful work to do, work that will endure. As we do the things he gives us to do, we also get to play a part in the lives of others so they can become like Jesus. In all matters of divine guidance, love is true north. Wherever God sends you, whatever he tells you to do, it will be oriented around love for God and love for others. It's important to understand that guidance happens in a particular context, but does not happen in other contexts. That's a problem because people in the wrong context are thinking they should get guidance, and they're not going to. 
Some people can go through their entire lives without receiving guidance from God because they're in the wrong context. Let me put that another way. The biggest problem in receiving guidance is that we want to hear God's voice when it's convenient for us and will make life easier, more successful, yet leave us substantially unchanged. God, however, is intent on changing us into the image of his son. If that's not what you want, don't expect to receive guidance. In that moment when you're so desperate and you're so worried and you're asking God to guide you, you're not going to get it. I shouldn't say that. God can do whatever he wants. He may guide you. But probably not. Let me illustrate. Right now, this room is filled with electromagnetic waves in the frequency range between 300 gigahertz and 30 hertz. Actually, it's filled with all kinds of EM waves of all different wavelengths, frequencies. We will, some of those, that, that frequency range I just mentioned to you, 300 gigahertz to 30 hertz, we've figured out how to cause those waves to carry information. But we will miss out on all that information unless we have a receiver. We call them radios and turn it on. Faith in Jesus turns us on. If you have not come to Christ in faith yet, you're not turned on. You're not going to receive information. Seeking to be like Jesus tunes us in and makes us capable of receiving the guidance that God sends. Some people are going to get to heaven and say, God, when I was in such a pickle, why didn't you tell me what to do? And God will say, I did, but you weren't listening. Now, with that in mind, let's look at an example of how God guided people in the Bible. It's found in Acts chapter 16. I'll start reading at verse 4 and read through verse 10. As they traveled from town to town, and they are Paul, Silas, and Timothy. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. We read about that at the end of the last chapter. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's see what we can learn about guidance here. First, Paul was carrying out what he had previously been given to do. We're not told that he sought God's guidance on this matter. He already had it. Sometimes people ask God for guidance when he's already told them what to do and they haven't done it. If your boss gives you something to do and you get sidetracked and you don't finish it and then you go back to him and ask for something else to do, what do you think he'll say? Sometimes Christians don't receive guidance because God's already given it to them and they're not following it. Paul didn't stop working on what he knew while he waited for direction about what he didn't know. And you know, sometimes prayer is a little more than sanctified procrastination. 
We keep praying instead of doing what God has told us to do. When that's the case, God will interrupt our prayers like he did Joshua's and say, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Don't stop doing what you know to do while you're waiting for God to tell you what you don't know to do. Notice that when Paul heard good things about Timothy, this is back in verses 1 and 2 and 3, he decided to ask him to work with him. Nothing is said about God giving Paul special guidance about this. Maybe he did, but we don't read about it. We need to get it through our heads. That divine guidance is not a get-out-of-making-decisions card. I think that's how we often approach it. If we get guidance, we don't have to make the decision. That's not true. If you're praying and waiting for guidance as a substitute for deciding, you'll never do anything. Guidance informs our decisions. It doesn't make them for us. When it comes to divine guidance, the real problem is generally not Christians going the wrong direction, but Christians going no direction. God will guide us when we're moving, even if we're moving in the wrong direction, as happened with Paul and Silas. He will not guide us when we're sitting still. You can steer your bicycle as long as it's moving. You can even turn it 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. But you're not going to steer a stationary bike. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are traveling through the Roman province of Galatia. So think of a map now. Think of modern Turkey and central Turkey. That's Galatia. They decide that they are going to take the highway west. This is one of the major roads in in the ancient Roman Empire. They're going to take this highway west into the province that was then known as Asia. Don't think of Asia as we think of it. Asia. But that way was closed to them, so they headed for the Black Sea in the province of Bithynia instead. They did this because, verse 6, they had been kept, they'd been prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, isn't that strange? Why would the Holy Spirit prevent them from preaching the word? You know what the capital city of Asia was, the province of Asia in modern-day Turkey? It was Ephesus, where Paul would later found an amazing church. And yet at this point, God kept him from going there. Now, we don't know how he kept him. Perhaps it was just a feeling, but I doubt it. In Scripture, we don't find God giving people feelings to direct them. may need to say that again. In Scripture, we don't find God giving people feelings in order to direct them. We are so about feelings. But in Scripture, God usually guides people through words. That's his standard way of operating. Those words may come from scripture, they may come from another person, or in a dream. They may even come through a donkey. I suspect that God spoke to Paul and his companions. Now, how he did that, I'm not sure. Perhaps they heard that the road was particularly dangerous just then because of bandits, which was a common problem in the ancient world. Perhaps someone cautioned them about going that way for some other reason, but somehow God kept Paul and his friends from going that way. So they went north instead, to Bithynia, but verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, we don't know how they knew the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow it. 
maybe they realized that it was the spirit of Jesus only in retrospect. We don't know, but we can imagine that Paul and his friends said something like, well, the Lord must have something else for us. He's not letting us go into Bithynia. So they headed west to Troas. Troas is interesting. 150 years ago, all the best scholars, you know, the people that everybody looked to, believed that Troas was a fantasy that St. Luke made up. Nobody believes that anymore. It was the chief city in the district of Troy, a few miles from Homer's Troy, if you know the Odyssey, or Virgil's Iliad, or Virgil's uh, the Aeneid. When the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow the companions to enter Bithynia, they went down to Troas. When they arrived, something very important in the history of the church took place. Paul met his physician and biographer, the Dr. Watson to his Sherlock Holmes. He met the evangelist St. Luke. I can't imagine not having the rich treasures of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, but that might be the situation had Paul not heeded God's guidance. But he was in a context where he could hear God speak. While in Troas, Paul heard God speak to him in a dream. And I say speak to him because once again, the guidance came in the form of words. That's God's standard way of communicating. Notice, however, verse 10, the companions concluded God had called us to preach the gospel to them, that is the Europeans. Even with the dream, they still had to think and come to a conclusion. Divine guidance is never a substitute for careful thought and responsible decision-making. Now here's something to consider. The guidance to go to Macedonia. So you know where Macedonia is. That is to leave Asia and enter Europe. Was not given to the companions months earlier. God could have told them months earlier, years earlier. He could have told them when they were in Galatia or when they were in Asia or even on the border of Messiah, I want you to go to Europe. But that direction was not given until it was needed. Too often we want to know God's plan for us for the next 10 years instead of doing what he gave us to do today. Guidance usually comes as it comes through your GPS turn by turn. If the real reason we want to know God's 10-year plan is so that we can get out in front of it and seize control and shape it the way we want it, we'll probably never know it. A lack of patience and waiting for God's guidance is a sign of a serious trust deficiency. The guidance to go to Europe was phenomenally important. It changed the history of the church and the future of the world. What happens in Troas changed the world. And Paul and his friends received that guidance because they were in the right context to hear from God. Now, you please hear what I'm about to say. Paul's experience in receiving guidance was not exceptional. It was normative. 
This is how God guided then and guides now. You don't need to be the apostle to the Gentiles to receive God's guidance. You're not required to be a missionary or a preacher or a mystic, but you do need to be committed to King Jesus and on active duty for his kingdom. Now, if that doesn't describe you, don't expect God's guidance. I'm not trying to be unkind. I just don't want you to have unrealistic expectations that are going to lead to disillusionment. Just as the army does not routinely brief civilians or discharge, discharge soldiers or issue them orders, God does not routinely give briefings or issues or order issue, issue orders to people who are not on active duty for the kingdom of God. Now, it's possible that you are committed to King Jesus, you are enlisted in his service, but you don't know how to get orders from him. You may not be sure that God has ever guided you, and you don't want to make a mistake. On the other hand, you don't want to deceive yourself. So what should you do? Well, first of all, don't fret about making mistakes. Like everything else in this wonderful life, it is learn as you go. You will make mistakes, but while you're making them, God will be making you if you remain open to him. Next, don't be in a hurry. God isn't. If you're in a hurry and God isn't, you're going to be frustrated quickly. You may go months or longer without receiving new orders. That doesn't mean that something's wrong. Elijah, foremost of the prophets, once went three years, in, in the scripture records at least, without one, with only one experience of guidance. If you think something might be wrong between you and God, ask him about it. If there's something wrong and you really want to know, he'll be sure to let you know. Next, it is more important it is much more important to have a submissive, listening spirit than it is to go to God all the time for direction. Rest assured, God will always direct his children if, without direction, harm would come to them or to Christ's kingdom. You don't have to worry about that. Next, don't panic if you don't receive specific direction from God on some issue. And, so, you know, we think these things are the most important things in the world, and I think we're usually wrong, and, and we just panic because we don't have any sense of direction. Remember that God wants us, requires us even, to make decisions. It's part of the process that he uses to make us like Jesus. God honors us by giving us a real, albeit limited, a real role in shaping our own eternal lives. Next, never try to force God to guide you. That doesn't work. Don't try to force God. As Dallas Willard once put it, there is no surefire technique for squeezing what we want to know out of God. In other words, you cannot put the squeeze on the Almighty. I've known people to approach fasting as if it were a tool for leveraging God. They want to force him to talk. We have ways of making you talk. What was that, laughing? 
Okay. Man, am I old. <laughs> I've known other people to make risky decisions with the thought that now God will have to show up. That is childish. It's rooted in a distorted view of God, and it only serves to demean him, not to exalt him. Next. If you do not listen to the scriptures regularly and earnestly, you are effectively planning not to hear from God. It is doubtful you will ever learn to recognize God's voice if you don't listen to his voice in the scriptures. Put in plan, a, a, put a plan in place that will help you hear God in the scriptures regularly or better, daily. Along with that, if you think God is telling you to do or believe something that contradicts what he said in the scriptures, you're mistaken. Understand, God is not the only one speaking. Test the spirits, St. John instructed, to see whether they are from God. If the word you think God spoke to you contradicts scripture, that was not God speaking. There's hardly anything more dangerous than a Christian who doesn't listen to the scriptures, who listens to his own thoughts and thinks he hears God. If you're serious about guidance, here's a routine that you can put in place. Set aside time, daily if possible, to read scripture. Each time before you begin, present yourself to the Lord. Tell him you're listening, but then make sure that you do listen. Don't just read absentmindedly. Sometimes I read, I'll read half a page of scripture and then realize I don't know what I just read. Don't read absentmindedly. Think. Stop when something strikes you. Ask God what he wants to say to you. If you're in need of guidance, ask him for it. Don't, don't demand. Don't panic. He's our father. Ask him, what should I do? When you're done, and some people will be done in 15 minutes, while others will, will be done in an hour and a half. When you're done, try doing something that doesn't require a lot of thought. I take a walk and sometimes exercise and then get in the shower. It's surprising how often I receive guidance from God while I'm in the shower. You know, my mind is not forced to work, and, and that's often how we work. We get really intense about something, and then have you ever noticed with memories too, it's when you ease off that they come back. So give yourself some time to do something that doesn't require a lot of thought. Don't fret or demand a word from God. Just be present to him. If something from the scriptures or some word of guidance comes, pay close attention, but test it. Talk about it with a trusted, spiritually mature friend. Hold it before God for further clarification. You need to know that God does not speak like a whining friend or an obnoxious boss. If what you hear sounds like, oh, you are so stupid, that is not God speaking. That's not the way he talks. Don't be in a rush, either to hear from God or to act when you think you've heard but aren't sure. Patience is required. And trust lives. Trust gives life to patience.
God will not play games with you. Hearing from God is not like putting together a puzzle. It's not like some Indiana Jones movie where you've got to figure all these different pieces out. He's not trying to confuse you. Be aware that not all words from God are guidance. In fact, most of them are not. Just like all words from a parent are not guidance. You imagine living with a parent who never spoke to you except to tell you what to do? That's not what God is like. Sometimes when he talks to us, he encourages us. He tells us of his love for us. Sometimes he rebukes us. Sometimes he corrects us. But when you do receive guidance that's consistent with biblical revelation and is likely to lead to good, then do it. But what if you're mistaken? What if I made a mistake? That's always possible. If you are trying to please and obey God, he will take care of your mistakes. I'm not trying to be flippant about that, but you're going to make mistakes. And if you're trying to please God, he'll take care of it. Remember the bicycle. It's much easier to steer when it's moving. Now, the most important thing to to remember is the character of the God whose guidance we're seeking. He's not toying with us. He's not waiting for us to mess up. He's waiting for us to grow up, and he's loving and enjoying us while we do. Don't forget that. He is not our puzzle maker in heaven. He's not our slave driver in heaven, nor is he our CEO in heaven. He is our Father who is in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. Say it with me. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Bow your heads. And ask the Lord right now if there's something from this message that he's speaking to you. If there is, try to understand it. If there's something for you to do, it's consistent with the scriptures, then it's good, then tell God you will do it. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. Amen.